everyone, and welcome to the Change Makers Podcast, where we chat with interesting and engaging individuals here and far about change, making change, living change in their own lives, how they've experienced unimaginable change, and innovative ways people uplift the lives of others. We chat about triumphs over tragedies, mindset matters, and how we live out our life's purpose inspirationally. So please join us to be inspired and empowered to be the change you want to see in this world. You know, we can all be change makers in our lives. Here's to the change you're about to bring forth. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Kimberly Rice from KLA Marketing Associates uh, for another episode of Secret Sauce Marketing Tastings. This week, we are featuring the none, none other than the amazing Julie Kratz, hailing from the Midwest as she's CEO of Pivot Point, and we're so excited to have her here today. Welcome, Julie. Thanks so much for having me, Kimberly. Um, so today, we're speaking about um, how women in the workplace can develop a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a um, compelling work situation, a winning career game plan um, to address some of the issues that we know exist that are getting a lot of press um, around gender inequality, um, implicit bias, those things that have been in existence for as long as there have been two genders in the workplace, mm -hmm. but have never really been called out. Um, this this year, in the last, I would say, it's 12 to 18 months, they've been talked about, they've been all over the news. Um, but as women in the workplace, both Julie and I have experienced them firsthand before we started our own business. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but immediately at the top of our um, show, I want to give our listeners an opportunity to uh, for Julie to talk a little bit about herself, her professional passion, her company Pivot Point, and a few insights into her professional journey. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. Yeah, like you said, I uh, I did the corporate thing for a dozen or so years. So I spent my time, I paid my dues in corporate America. And Pivot Point's the name of my business now. I started that five years ago. But I affectionately had, you know, these Pivot Points, these career shifts uh, in my corporate experience where I tried on a different role. I, I moved into a different functional area, many different industries, went back to school, got my MBA. So there were kind of all these pivots that I had. The common thread through it, though, really was leadership. I, I was almost always a people leader um, at a very early age. I uh, got to learn in the trenches, and I still think that's one of the most challenging jobs I had is managing you know, a team of 60 people when you're 23 years old. It's like, holy smokes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> but fast forward to today, and I get to support leaders, and I often say, especially for women, you, know, don't, you don't have to learn it the hard way. Here's some tools that really work. And I think you're, you're, we're at a time of a real reckoning in this country. You know, the last 18 months um, with Me Too and you know, political and social messaging happening, we're, we're having a wake-up call of this behavior is not okay and we need to be more inclusive of women at work. And there's new standards being formed. And we're also at a point where men are getting very uncomfortable. Uh, new data just came out from Lean In that suggests that 60% of men um, are now uncomfortable meeting with women one-on-one -on -one at work. 
Uh, this isn't, you know, outside of work. This is at work and, and that's not okay. No. Uh, it's actually worse than a year ago is 50%. So it's getting worse before it gets better. And so I, that data really just is disheartening for me because I'm a big fan of bringing men into the conversation as allies and, and they can be very helpful as mentors, sponsors, advocates for us. Uh, and what this data suggests is that actually we have fewer allies available to us. So uh, that's, that's my life's work. It's just it's you know, a little setback before we move forward. But that really why I do what I do is I've always had a burning passion um, for supporting women, helping women in the workplace, raised by a single mom, you know, had a series of my own setbacks in corporate, but I didn't even know what was happening at the time. And, and so I just I think it's these little chinks in the armor that women today experience in the workplace and sometimes much more than a chink, you know, if you, you think about um, Me Too and, and some of the things, egregious things that can happen to women. But more often, it's these subtle little things, these subtle little signals you don't belong um, that our work is really dedicated to. How do we promote a sense of belonging where everyone feels seen, heard, and valued in the workplace, especially when nearly every industry is male dominated. So that's what I do, why I do it. It's, uh, it's uh, going to be fun. 2020 is a big year. You know, think about women's suffrage, 100th anniversary. And, and this is actually primarily for white women. Uh, women of color really didn't have access to voting until the 1960s, which is just something new that I learned about. So having a, a passion to really rally all women together so that we can celebrate, you know, this accomplishment 100 years in is going to be interesting. Uh, so we're working on some new programs I'll, I'll get to later in the podcast about, you know, hindsight's 2020, the year 2020. So it's a really interesting point to look backwards, to look forward. So uh, I could just talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think it really adds to, and I find this very fascinating, I think it really adds to um, the, the mission and the, the purpose and the drive, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, the drive for women like ourselves, because we've been I sometimes say inside and we've done the quote corporate thing and mm -hmm. we've lived it, right? Yeah. I mean, we've lived it. And, um, you know, there are people who have paved the way before us and I can only imagine what it was like then. I mean, I, I know some anecdotally and, and research wise and then, and we've paved the way for others. However, you know, it is extremely disheartening uh, when you think about, Gloria Steinem, um, you know, mm -hmm. way back when, and her entire life's work. Um, and here we are today, you know, with men going to prison um, because of bad behavior. Yep. Um, and, you know, so I guess I say that to say that as much progress that has been made, perhaps historically, it is so still egregiously unacceptable for how women are treated in the workplace. Mm -hmm. that it, I, I know when I speak about um, client firms um, that I've worked with, that, that we've worked with here, coaching women um, through very difficult situations um, in prof the professional services arena, um, I often am met with quizzical looks from other women, older women usually, and men, it's like, wow, is that still going on? I would have yeah. I'm like, you have no idea. You can't see what you can't see, right? right? If you're not being treated that way, I think a lot for our male colleagues, the Me Too movement was a real wake up call because what a lot of men told me is my sister shared a story with me 
my wife shared a story with me, my mother shared a story with me, and I had no idea this was still a thing. I had no idea that these things were happening to other women that I care about. And that's not okay. Right. So it really, it brings a lot of men into the conversation. Unfortunately, it also is very polarizing yes. that they withdraw from the conversation too, because it's like, oh, I can't say anything, can't do anything right. Well, like we, yes. And, and that's one of the, I think one of the many troubling things um, um, that has, you know, been <clears throat> identified is, you know, not every person is Harry Weinstein or right. Anthony Weiner, <laughs> you right. know, and I've, I have personally worked with, um, men. Um, there's this one fella in particular that comes to mind every time, a lovely man. He was about 60, um, solo practitioner, um, in his own law firm. And he shared with me um, when we were working, you know, a couple years ago, that as a commercial litigator or a, a corporate litigator, he had, he really struggled with um, dealing with female opposing counsel, because when they were coming after him mm -hmm. and advocating for their clients, her clients, um, he had a very difficult time responding in kind giving the societal um, norms that he was reared with right. back in the 40s, 50s of being chivalrous and deferential to women. And so he felt, you know, he had some real rumblings, if as Brene Brown would say, <laughs> <laughs> she had, around the fact of, you know, coming back as strongly as he would with a male opposing counsel. Yeah. So I, I use that. So I, I ended up giving him a book to read by someone who I have tremendous respect for, um, Barbara Pochter, who is mm -hmm. an internationally known business communications trainer. She wrote a book um, that I love, The Power of Positive Confrontation. <laughs> um, it's fabulous. And anything she's published, I think she's published 12 books or so, is fabulous, very, um, very actionable. But I, I raise that example because they're men as much as women, but for very different reasons, need to have, a, have resources, you know, training or, you know, some type of internal resources that they can understand or be taught or brought awareness around what is now the new norm and what is okay and what isn't. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We are developing a new norm. And I think uh, if you can point to recent headlines of Joe Biden, and I'm not going to get political yeah. by any means, but yeah. you can see how we're reshaping of, hey, 50 years ago, you know, being chivalrous, uh, treating women differently was the standard. <clears throat> entering people's personal space obviously wasn't questioned either. Now we're, we're, it's a new normal. And so what does that look like? And I think we, you know, it, the, a big question I get from people is like, really, do we have to educate men how to treat us? Well, unfortunately for so long, uh, the behavior wasn't appropriate. And so they really are relearning, you know, basic social norms. You know, the things that we learned in fourth grade about being respectful and touching people who don't want to be touched. I mean, we learned this at a young age. Right. Somehow though, in the corporate world, we let shenanigans happen. Right. Those boundaries got crossed. And so it's redefining those boundaries. So I, I think at the end of this, it's, it's going to be such a positive thing, but you're right. We are in a rumble area right now. Right. Um, and it is, and so there's a lot of uncertainty, which I think leads us to the place for women, since we are the majority who are violated or not, or not treated in a comfortable way, it's incumbent upon us to set the boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think at this point you're right. 
because it's not I mean I, I participated as a speaker at a um, program um, women legal conference back in February and where this was these type of topics um, around implicit bias and institutional gender um, discrimination and the the inequality and the, the gender pay gap all these things were um, spoken about very broadly on an institutional level but just like you know running our country I mean we we it comes down to every individual is I guess what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say yeah, and we're we we're all a take, part of the system. We have to take, you know, action. We have to take steps um, to get ourselves um, and being mindful of our own um, level of um, involvement, integration, comfort mm -hmm. level, um, because, you know, it's very difficult to um, perform, to have what we would call peak performance if we are, you know, being harassed every day. Right. Right. So, you know, we would rather just, you know, not go into work because we know that big bullies are right across the hallway. Mm -hmm. I yeah, I think it is. I mean, it is our, our it's our opportunity to, to educate folks and, and help them understand at which point we've done that then and there's still bad behavior then that's a candid conversation like you said um i had this this surface last week i was with an industry that's eight percent women eight eight single oh lord so really male dominated although yeah. i would argue most industries are um yes and she said, she's like, I, I really, this is exhausting. I don't want to have to like tell my manager what's not okay. Yeah. And I said, okay, here's the thing. If, if we want to like pretend, but let's just pretend that he's not aware of the behavior and perhaps it's unintentional. Um, usually, usually both of those things are true. Not always, but usually, you know, what would that look like to help him understand, help him see what he's not seeing? And, and are you okay with that behavior continuing? Because yeah. if you are, don't say anything. That's fine. But if you aren't okay with that behavior continuing, and more importantly, as women, we're much, much better at negotiating on other people's behalves. Mm. If you're okay with it happening to other women, definitely don't say anything. But right. if you're not okay with that, this is your choice. Your choice is to lean in and have a candid conversation with this person and assume that on the other side of it, they will become aware and that they will practice better intent in their behavior. I usually see 80% of the time it works out positively. I rarely hear about those kind of conversations backfiring. And that's where we're at. We really are at a place where candor and challenging and education is so needed at the same exact time when people are retreating from that type of candor and not, not wanting to say or do the wrong thing. So it's, it's like there's this opportunity, but then there's this fear. And so it's, it's finding a way to have safe, uncomfortable conversations. Right. Well, and that takes me to one of my areas of passion, and that's the over the confidence gap um, within women. Mm -hmm. um, because, because perhaps based in one instance, um, because of the, it's all about fear, or much much of it's about fear, fear of retribution, fear of you know not being promoted, fear of mm -hmm. being treated differently, being fear of being left out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that goes back to the confidence issue of putting those boundaries. And, you know, so as a certified unconscious bias trainer, how do you explain your firm's methodology on how to deal with these type of issues from mm. educational as, as a practical matter? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, be aware of your bias. Um, the, the research at Harvard has been around for decades. And what they have found is that everyone t it, it, that is assessed in their system, and by the way, it's free, so, so check it out, implicit bias at Harvard, 
And everyone that's assessed has some level of bias in one of the categories. So the, the two most popular are the diversity variables we can see, you know, gender, race, um, or usually see, I should say, we, we can't always. Um, there's also one on sexual orientation, disabilities, um, age, and, and and actual um, overweightness as well. So if you're interested, get get aware. Get aware first. Um, I, I'm as as a certified trainer, I've, I've tested or assessed myself in all those areas. It's very eye opening um, because again, everyone has bias, and sometimes it leans an opposite way than the rest of the population, or sometimes it's very aligned. Um, so as you might suspect, you know, most people have racial bias. Most people associate white um, with power and black with oppression. For example, I have a slight bias towards that myself. Um, on the gender side, though, mine's flipped from the average population. I actually have um, associate men with family and women with careers because I spend a lot of time like you do with women, professional women. And I'm not saying that's, that's right. There's no right or wrong to this. It's just I'm aware because what sure. ends up happening, and I notice this showing up for me, I feel very comfortable with professional women. When I'm talking with women that are stay-at-home parents uh, that perhaps do a lot more work um, in home and not in the corporate setting, uh, my bias kind of shows up like, really? Like, you know, I, I want us all to like be at work. <laughs> and that's right. not right. That's not right either, you know? And so we all have bias, it, it, being aware of it, step one. And then the second piece I would offer is manage it. So if you have it, just like I just articulated, I do, I need to be managing that and making sure my behavior is not aligned with that bias. So these are interventions that I talk about in our, our workshops is diving into in the moment when I'm thinking this right before I'm about to say this or do this, check myself. How do I know, how do I know that's true about that person? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and because of my limitations and, and how I have surrounded myself with people that are, look like me, that think like me, just like we all do, uh, that is going to show up in settings where things are different. So in different culturally diverse settings, for example, um, when I'm with um, the majority of, of people of color, even women of color, sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm. I'm different here, right? So I got to make sure to check myself in that situation, make sure that I don't say or do something that would be different than how I would treat others. And this is, ooh, I mean, when you can get good at this, this takes a lot of practice because you're rewiring your brain. Our brains are wired for pattern recognition and assumptions. Uh, if you say don't make assumptions, <laughs> you probably already made an assumption before you finish saying that. <laughs> so it's just how we work. And, and I think that's so freeing for people like, whew, okay, I don't have to be perfect. No, there is no perfect ally. There is no perfect champion of diversity in the workplace. We're all going to step out of bounds and do something wrong. It's, it's not perfect all the time. But it, it's recognizing it and sometimes stopping yourself right before you're going to do it. And in really being hyper aware of it. And then it actually becomes much more fluid and natural. So I, I find myself having to do the interventions much less often now. Um, but I, I was certified you know, over a year ago and it, that has been a journey. I'm sure. I'm sure. You, <laughs> you know, but for those individuals, um, you know, just your typical Jane Doe who's going into work, she's been promoted up through the ranks. She may have um, management responsibilities. I mean, most people don't have training. Mm -hmm. I, would, I mean, you, you tell me, most organizations yep. don't have training, right? 
Well, especially in diversity and inclusion. I mean, you're lucky enough if you get some leadership training thrown at you. But usually diversity and inclusion, I, I think we're sitting at, oh, what is it, 20% of organizations are doing training. And the most popular one is unconscious bias, which always cracks me up. It's like, really? That's the place you're going to choose to start? Tell people that they're biased? Right. <laughs> Might want to like start somewhere, uh, build some trust and, and comfort around the issue before we go there. <laughs> right. That's Because I'm sure it's a very, very uncomfortable place. Um, start. Um, well, it's, it's a hot topic. People yeah. like, I get this, it's a hot topic. We want to be providing those tools for our managers and, you know, we want to eliminate hiring bias so we can recruit diverse talent. That That's a big one right now. <laughs> well, okay. So let me, so you're going to tell them they're biased when they're trying to hire diverse people. So they're probably going to go thinking I have to hire diverse people to show them I'm not biased. Then what happens when they come to work? <laughs> Are they going to want to stay? Right. They kind of, uh, I've seen that they, uh, you know, I, I, when I was in the house at corporate and mostly law firms, um, it was predictable that I, it, the good ones always left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They left because they understood, you know, that maybe they, you know, obviously just like getting married, you really don't know someone to, or, you know, get together mm-hmm. until you live with somebody on a day-to-day basis. Um, but, yeah. um, you, you know, same thing with corporate marriages. Um, so it is, uh, it's very volatile, but, and it, you know, dealing with all the personal baggage that comes along with that and a lifetime of thinking in a certain way mm-hmm. uh, and being willing to think differently and to be open to change. Yeah. Well, and, and diversity and inclusion go hand in hand. That's why the titles in corporate America are such, and now we're starting to see diversity, e- equality, and inclusion. I really like the term equality because it's less polarizing too, but yeah, you have to have both. You, yeah. you can't just say, hey, we're going to get different people to come in here and they're going to want to stay just because this is awesome. No, the culture is going to have to shift. And cultural shifts take time and how do you embed inclusiveness as something we hold our leadership team accountable to we know the behaviors that are acceptable here and not acceptable here i mean that's when you have to get really super specific with what good looks like so that people can again relearn these new norms right that's a big under that's a heavy lift that's a heavy lift but um required nonetheless you know so one of the things julie that really fascinates me about um your background and the work that you've done um of the two books that you've published and my hat goes off to you on that one i've i published one about a year and a half ago and so i personally lived the hell that that is <laughs> to bringing it all together i mean i love to talk that if it was only about writing that'd be one thing but it, so many other things that are incorporated into publishing a book. Um, but the one title that really is fascinating to me, interestingly enough, is entitled, One, How Male Allies Support Women for Gender Equality, that you include men in the conversation. I would love to understand more about your philosophy in doing so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like you, was speaking in a lot of women's conferences and doing a lot of uh, women's speaking inside organizations. And a couple of years ago, I started to see men coming into the conversation. Uh-huh. And, and they were there before. I just, it, they, they started to really uh, show up in a way that I hadn't seen before. And I was like, hey, you know, this is a women's conference. What are you doing here? <laughs> hey, you know that you're different than everybody else, right? <laughs> And, um, you know, I'm, I'm joking. I didn't really say it that way, but I was curious. Sure. And so I would just ask him like, what's going on? Like, why are you, know, what do you, what do you think about this? And I started getting all these amazing stories from these men saying, I've been personally affected by this. Um, 
I, I don't think it's right what's going on right now. I have to be a part of the solution. Um, I have a daughter and that's kind of a sticky one for a lot of women. Like really you have a daughter, so now you care. But I, I think it's, it's a place to meet a man where he's at in the journey. Um, research shows if your firstborn's a daughter, you're 50% more likely to support gender equality. Like I don't care what your reason is. As long as you're here and you're supportive, like bring it on. Right. Um, so I'm not here to qualify allies. Anyone can be an ally. It's a choice and it's a choice every day. And so that really began my curiosity for interviewing kind of coming up with some key themes of what does it take to be an ally? How do we engage men as allies from a female perspective? So that's why we wrote the book. It really was where the conversation was starting to go a couple years ago. And now, I mean, it, that's, you know, it was just um, on one of the morning shows this week, you know, men as allies, I'm like, wow, that's, it's so cool that that's where we're at. Yes, you know? It, and I, I, I'm so thankful I had the foresight to see it because I didn't know what to call these men. You know, I was calling them man champions, which just, <laughs> I know it was bad. I always joke like, I know, I know it was bad, but I didn't know what to call them. Sure. And so allies, I, I think it's a good signal side by side. Mm -hmm. No one has power over anybody. Like we truly are in it together. And so that, that fast forward to now, um, our work is leading like an ally. So what does it mean to be an inclusive leader, uh, male or female? Like what are the behaviors you can take on across the gender spectrum uh, to really engage um, diverse talent and make sure that women's voices are heard, that women are seen inside organizations? You know, there are little strikes like these biases that happen in the workplace that tend to happen much so, more so to women. And I think raising awareness to men of like, oh, that's a thing. I thought we were over this. Okay. It's a thing. So, okay, I can do something about it. So equipping them with the tools, teaching them how to be an ally and it is a daily journey. And so that's where I think the conversation is going is like, great. There's awareness. Um, you know, maybe I want to lean in, don't know how. So tell me something I can do. Tell me, ask me, like, tell me a question I can ask my team or, you know, tell me a, a subject I could have at my next team meeting. I get, I get questions like that. So giving people that content is now where the conversation's going, like peppering in kind of this everyday lead like an ally behaviors as a toolkit for today's middle manager that doesn't get a lot of resources. Sure. That's fascinating. Oh, and, and have you, um, have you've taken it to market, I assume? So it is um, in book form right now. So we are finalizing the manuscript. Um, it will be on bookshelves by the end of the year. So oh, we have great. a publisher um, that's committed to getting it out for the holidays. So I'm excited. Oh. Again, 2020, right? 2020 yeah. Yeah. Um, is such an important year for women. And I think just to celebrate inclusively uh, across all aspects of diversity of, hey, this is a significant accomplishment. What have we learned? Where's the conversation going? And how can we speed it up a little bit in the future. Right, right. Well, you know, I think about all the organizations that don't have the training and they're so stuck in the status quo, which mm -hmm. is not really status quo. <laughs> I know. I mean, in, in my world, I mean, in, in, you know, in professional services, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. There is no status quo. Yep. Whether or not you choose to believe that and you want to take your head out of the sand is a whole different question. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, and, and being a, you know, as, as you are, as a trainer, a leader, um, leadership trainer and, um, you know, business development trainer um, and seeing how so many firms are resistant to change mm -hmm. from a corporate culture, yep. um, I can only imagine. I mean, it just, it, it doesn't seem to me that it's, you know, that it's needed. Every organization needs it, you know, where the buy-in will come in 
will be an interesting point of entry, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and people ask me probably another one of the most common questions I get is what organizations are getting this right? Mm. You know, to your point, it, the change is hard. Cultural barriers take time to remove. Um, and I just have so few examples. Uh, you know, I, people tell me ones and I've, I've seen rumblings of ones, um, Salesforce here in in the Midwest, um, is headquartered in San Francisco. Great example of they're saying the right things, but are they really mirroring that with their leadership team positions? You know, they still got some work to do. Um, another one, Accenture gets a lot of credit for diversity and inclusion. And when, when I've talked to folks there, uh, oddly enough, they're like, oh, you know, this is just normal. There's this almost like we've arrived here. And so we have a a embedded culture. I can't even describe why it's different, you know, because people want to work here so they don't leave. And so they just take that culture to be normal. And that's, that's the rub. I think that's really what's hard to make cultural shift happen where it really needs to, the culture is so drastically different that it's like a, you can't just flip a switch. Right. And then the ones that are getting it are so embedded, which is great. That shows you've gotten there that they don't even know how to teach other cultures to do it. So this is where it's kind of having that unbiased lens as a speaker and trainer and facilitator to, to help put, you know, kind of be the wizard of Oz and kind of figure out what's going on behind. (laughs) Yeah. And it takes courage. It takes institutional courage to start down this road Um, because in the work that we've done with many, many firms in the, in the areas around business and professional development, it's, it's never an isolated issue Mm -hmm. Um, in our world. And this is not culture. Well, I mean, it is culture. It's not um, around gender equality and and diversity inclusion, but with around the business development, it goes right to the heart of the compensation system mm-hmm. yep. and it probably doesn't get any harder than that. Well, and if, if you, and that's where Salesforce took it, right. Uh, yes. Pay equality gap and solving that and they have to continuously audit and continue to find things. So that's a, a systemic problem that I would argue bias is the root cause of that. So they haven't eliminated the bias. Therefore they still have a systemic problem. Right. It, the same goes for many other parts of uh, the employee experience. Uh, the one thing, the one attribute I would point to, especially for women, what we know to be true, especially for women of color, is promotions. Yes. Measure who's getting promoted in your organization. Those are the behaviors that are being rewarded. Those are the types of people that we're signaling to everyone else, be like them. Yes. And guess what? It is usually, usually straight Caucasian males. and. Yes. If you're measuring it and you're bold enough and have courage, like you said, uh, to be transparent about that data and to share it with your leaders and have them share it with their teams, things change pretty quickly. Uh (laughs) I mean, if you're floating around an 80% number, which by the way is pretty common, Uh that's pretty glaringly obvious that things aren't equal here. And, you know, you can say we have a meritocracy, they worked harder. No. Uh It's bias, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, there's different performances, but I have, I have yet to see performance data on that people of color or women don't work hard as hard. <laughs> like that. Oh, for goodness sake, yeah. It doesn't exist, that data, so that's not happening all the time if you're, you're floating at a high number like that. That high number, of course, of course. So um, I would say, for, I would want to know from your unique perspective, uh, what are a few practical steps that women can take to effectively navigate some of these biases in the workplace, because we know that they're there. They've always been there. We talked about earlier about the boundaries, but you know, there are plenty of women in the workplace, unlike you and I, who, who just accept 
this mm-hmm. is just the way it is. Yep. Oh yeah, I hear that every day. Oh, you don't understand, Julie. You don't. You don't work here every day. Yep. Uh, it'll just go back to normal tomorrow. Yep. That kind of, kind of complacency. I, I think we we run into that a lot, and my corporate clients especially. And that's why I'm getting away from this one-time training stuff. Um, you really have to have a series of intentional events to to really get to the root cause of what takes to change. But I would say for a woman leader that's listening today, any woman, in fact, have a plan, have a game plan. So the the very first body of work that we uncovered is that women with a plan win 80% higher success rate associated with having a plan versus not. Your male counterparts are much more likely to have a plan, meaning goals, meaning here's what job I want next and asking for that job. Um, women fear self-promotion. So back to your confidence part, get comfortable asking for things. Right. And even if it's like only going to benefit yourself, I would, I would challenge that. That probably will benefit your family. <laughs> that yeah. will probably benefit other people in your life that you care about. It's going to benefit the organization if they know what you want. So don't make it about you then. Right. Um, so have a plan. You speak up, ask for it, and, and, and engage your allies. So if you don't have a mentor, which by the way, men are significantly much more likely to have allies and mentors develop strategic relationships find the future version of yourself so once you've defined your plan where you want to go find somebody that's already doing that engage them as an ally it doesn't have to be a woman i would think it's actually better if it's somebody that's not like you you're going to get a diverse perspective so challenge you know some of these norms some of these biases that we even hold ourselves to uh, and go beyond our comfort zone. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Speak up. You know, the the confidence piece, um, the allies piece, the the planning piece are huge. Well, and that's interesting because um, from an institutional perspective of going outside the comfort zone, asking for what you want, the second kind of shoe of that is you've got to be in a place where you're okay. If it doesn't, if it, if the outcome is not what you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. And that's disappointment. Ask and ask yourself the question. What's the worst that could happen? Right. You know, men are like, be like, well, what's the worst that could happen? I'm just going to ask for it. Like, and, and they, like no hard feelings. Like two minutes later, they're fine. Women were ruminating. Oh gosh, they don't like me. <laughs> I've done it. I know. I mean, and like, it's not about me. People just aren't thinking about you that much. You're not that important. <laughs> It's so, I mean, it's, it's so, you're so spot on. Um, and I, and I say when women not like you and I, because, um, you know, I think the first three years I was out of college and working in professional jobs, or maybe the first five years working in professional positions, I was laid off three times, mm. none of which were performance based. Um, and I just recently heard, I had to, I don't remember who said this, but somebody, I don't know if it was Steve Jobs, somebody said, you know, um, as a young person, um, don't be afraid to get laid off, get it, get it done as quickly as possible. So <laughs> you can get over the, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Yeah. Feel fast, learn from it. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then the whole, what's the worst could happen? Like, remember that time that was pretty bad. It's not going to be that bad this time. Right. And so, um, I, I, um, uh, was six months into my first position out of college and I was laid off. Ugh. Actually, they, they actually eliminated the position. Um, which was a whole nother story into itself, but six months, I was like 23 years old and, you know, and so it kind of toughened me up, um, for the, for the next two that were to come, (laughs) were to come, Yeah. Um, but you know, but Hey, you know, you survive There's skills, um, you know, you, there's, if you, if you pay attention, there's a lot that you can learn from, you know, failing Mm -hmm. fast and furious. And so, um, now, you know, I, I can't really, 
fire myself. <laughs> I can't, but I choose yourself for that. Yeah, I, I agree. I had lots of pivot points in my career. Some, some I wanted, some I didn't. And uh, I, I have to say, I think those helped me. They helped me be more resilient, yes. um, more less risk averse. Yes. Um, women tend to fear risk more so than our male counterparts. Um, that's why we balance each other out. Uh, and, and so I, I agree with you. I mean, finding safe ways to fail. Um, and if you do that, kind of set a goal for yourself, a challenge. And every week or every month, I'm going to stretch myself and put myself in a position that feels uncomfortable and it might not go well. The more you do that, the better you get at it. And, and then it just becomes like this muscle and this behavior that I naturally do. And, and that is, you know, just like anything else, I, I have the, um, on my vision board, everything we want's on the other side of fear. Yep. So if one by one, we eliminate those fears, I mean, you know, like you say, uh, find a safe place to fail, then um, there's a lot of growth that can come from that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that mantra because it is fear. We're in our own way. Oh, gosh. You know, I mean, I just published an article, I guess it was, um, I think it was at the end of the year, the beginning of the year is um, entitled Fearless and Free. Um, Mm -hmm. Because when I started doing a personal examination of what am I afraid of, and I really can't say anything that I'm afraid of anymore. Um, Now, of course, you know, I mean, I'm not 23 or or 43, (laughs) but I mean, so there's lots of life experience there, but um, it's a very liberating place to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would want for my stepchildren, I have a stepdaughter who's just beginning her legal career, Mm -hmm. um, and other young people not to have to go the the same path and and until they're in midlife to be fearless and free. And then you realize, like, I had this power all along. (laughs) Well, that's the, yeah, that's the good witch Glenda. You had this power all along, you just didn't know it which right. is one of my driving passions um, of, mm-hmm. in, of showing, empowering women to show that they, ought, they have the power. Yeah. Um, if you just, you know, if you, if you know where to look for it internally. Um, so let me ask you, um, speaking to the disruption that we spoke about earlier happening across industries as gender and racial diversity are taking a foothold, you know, how is it that this should represent some eye-opening mindsets uh, to the bottom line across all business sectors. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the best research on this is from McKinsey uh, and Company. They do an annual uh, Women Matter report and diversity reports, and, and they continuously find a much higher profitability rate associated mm-hmm. with diversity at the top of your organization compared to your industry peers. So it is an apple to, apples to apples comparison. Uh, the latest one was 21% higher with women. Um, with male counterparts at the top doesn't mean all women sure. <laughs> <It's equal. laughs> um, and so I think that kind of overcomes the zero-sum game you know when we're working together there's more seats at the table it's not about a male seat versus a female seat and then you know Harvard continuously publishes data on the behaviors of inclusive teams and diverse teams better ideas better decisions better profits better business results there's a huge correlation between all of those things so there, there's a business case uh, the sad thing is is we've known about this business case for quite some time um, this data has been available and it hasn't compelled real change so I'm a firm believer you got to have the data to back it up but more importantly you have to have um, the human case for it. This is what's right for humans and people inside the organization need to hear from leadership, all leaders, why this is important for the organization. We all have to be singing from the same song sheet and it has to be genuine. It has to be real. Mm, So, so powerful. Um, And it's just, it's just, it's like, there's just this gap. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's this gap of kind of the haves and the have nots 
of understanding and the, the level of awareness yep. of how it's impacting, you know, uh, positively or adversely to the bottom line. I agree with you. I agree. And it's hard to not, it's, it's hard to unsee your own privilege, right? I've got privilege in yeah. certain areas. I have a lack of privilege in others. Yeah. And for white males um, in our country, they've had privilege for a long time. And this doesn't mean they have to get rid of it. No, it's not their fault that they have it, but you, you do need to be aware of it. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so that is just so fascinating. Thank you for bringing your expertise um, on that. Um, it's just really um, very chilling to, you know, to hear from you about um, your, your field's experience and your research and where we are and, and really the uh, imperative that it's going to, it's, it's changing, right? Whether you mm -hmm. get on the train or not, it's changing. Yep. Yep. It might leave the station without you. <laughs> get on board. <laughs> Get on board, um, because I think what is it by twenty forty, Caucasians will now be a minority. Yeah, yeah. From a racial diversity, there's a burning platform, and companies are really slow to jump on. Your customer base is changing. If you don't resemble your customers internally, you're going to have problems. Yeah, that's a huge issue. Yeah. From a gender perspective, I mean, we're ha more than half the population. Right, <laughs> five percent of the workforce. Not and most of the consumer base. Right, eighty percent of most uh, buying decisions are made by women. So, again, you're not reflecting your customers if you look right. different. So, there's going to become a time when I think companies become the haves and have-nots based on this inaction or action. Exactly. Well, this is all very fascinating. So I want to, um, I ask all of our guests this one question because um, to me, it's just a very fun question. Um, if you could give your younger self one piece of professional advice, knowing now all that you know, mm -hmm. what do you think that would be? Oh, uh, I mean, back to what I said, have a plan, ask yeah. for it, engage allies. I, I was fortunate to have some mentors early in my career, but I certainly didn't speak up and ask for things that I should have asked for. And my male counterparts were negotiating at a much higher rate, which created a, a pay gap right off the get-go in my corporate career. Had I stayed in corporate, you know, I, that 5% would have compounded over the years. So sure. it was a big miss. Um, and, and this speaks to, we need to educate college students about this, college age women, um, starting yeah. to universities, educate them to negotiate uh, and have a plan. So know where you want to go. I was always waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, Julie, what about this job? What about this promotion? No, that's not the way it works. Just, to, you know, yeah. have a plan. I want to go into marketing and I would like to be there next year. Is that doable? Yes. No. Okay. Help me. Right. Right. So, well, I always say, I say this to mostly the younger folks that I work with um, in coaching and training situations is that um, number one, no one's ever going to offer you anything. You have to ask if, if the answer is no, it's usually not no, but not now. And if it is no, then they're doing you a favor mm -hmm. of letting you know what that reality is for that situation. And then you can make an informed decision based on that, whether you're mm -hmm. going to go out and up, um, or you're going to retool your school skill set and do something differently, but having, you know, having a plan, having a vision and not just drifting along like too many people do, particularly women, because they don't realize that they have options. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And we're kind of gender socialized that way. I mean, the root cause of this is how we raise boys and girls in this country yes. um, to please others, to not speak up, to not rock the boat, you know, these types of things we just don't tell boys. And so when you enter a workforce that's male dominated male behavior, then you have to relearn gender norms. It becomes problematic. 
very problematic. Um, so this has been an extremely fascinating and uplifting conversation that we've had today, Julia. So appreciate you joining us here on Secret Sauce Marketing Tastings podcast. And I want to give our listeners an opportunity to connect with you. Um, and so what is the easiest direct path of that connection? Yeah, well, uh, we just relaunched our website, nextpivotpoint.com. I'd love for you to go there. There is a plethora of resources. Uh, there's a resources page that has our podcasts. You can subscribe and download them there. Um, blogs, videos, uh, workbooks, you name it. We've got everything there. So check it out, nextpivotpoint.com. And that's actually our social handle as well. So we're on Instagram, um, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn. I post daily on LinkedIn. So check us out. Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z. So follow me there um, and you can engage and, and kind of get um, a flavor for this message and, and be in the know on a daily basis because we need to small education steps along this way. It's a journey, not a destination. Wow, gosh. A woman after my own heart. A journey <laughs> versus a destination. I probably say that 10 times a day <laughs> um, because it is. I mean, these are huge issues and they're not going to be solved overnight. But we as individuals, as individual women in the workplace, women professionals and uh, women, period. We have choices and we all need to uplift and empower one another wherever we are in our station in life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, again, I thank you so much for joining us on the Secret Sauce Marketing um, Tastings podcast. And, and this relates to marketing as far as um, you know, creating a more profitable, prosperous business by addressing all these issues. So they are, there is a lot of tie-in there. Um, and so thank you, uh, audience and listeners, for joining us again. You can certainly uh, listen and find more of our podcast on Apple, iTunes, of course, klamarketing.com for all types of resources, videos, um, blog posts, um, podcast additional episodes. Uh, we want to be that resource for uplifting and empowering uh, men and women and uh, in your professional and business development endeavors. And so thank you again, Julie. And uh, we look forward to engaging in again sometime in the future. Thanks for having me. Take care.